Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 166 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. You are joining us today for a fun and intimate topic with Allie all about conscious parenting. So Allie's going to be talking about her approach with Stella how she strives for mindfulness, empowerment, as well as the role of real food for toddlers, kids, and teens. And then if time allows, I know we always promise this, so we'll try to deliver today, but we'll do a Q&A covering at least some of the hot topics that were submitted about a month ago. Yes. So this is a topic that has been requested time and time again. And I'm not sure if it's just people observing Stella on my Instagram page or just taking in the the way that I describe my parenting relationship, but I'm happy to share, to, to be totally frank and forthcoming with you guys, I am not a child psychology expert. I am just a mom trying to do all of the things. And so I'll share with you guys the philosophies that I've pulled from and uh, you know the way that I structure sentences with Stella the way that I pause and am intentional and purposeful with my language and how I feel that empowers a child to be confident and really to have ownership, which I think is ultimately a big piece of our success as we go into adulthood. Totally. And, and your approach is really different. I mean, when I look at you compared to other moms that I love and even compared to you know my own background in early childhood education, um, I wish I knew a lot of the things that I know now when I was teaching preschool. But your approach is just, it is, like you said, very intentional. And I think you allow Stella a lot of space to be her own unique individual um, while kind of guiding you know her choices and, and actions. And, and I think this really shows in the way Stella is like such an empathetic and sweet kiddo. And she's also so curious and interested. I always tell you that I think she's very, very advanced for her age. And (laughs) I really believe it. Um, But even recently when we were in Austin visiting um, and my dog Houston got out in the backyard and we didn't realize the fence was open, she came out to look for him with me. And she like saw my face kind of drop when I realized, oh, he's not in the backyard. He must have gotten out and this dog has like never been off a leash probably <laughs> more than three times in his life except at the dog park. And, and she just kind of like melted, like she got it right away and started crying. And just the, the level of empathy was like really recognizable. And I think that's something really special about her. Yes. I'm, I'm all about emotional intelligence. And I think that in today's episode, some of the information that I share and we discuss will be helpful for really anyone because having Stella has helped me to be mindful about the way that I communicate with Brady, my husband, the way I communicate with friends, and really even in a clinical environment. 
So hopefully there's some approaches that are widespread. And even if your children are now having children or you never had children or don't even know if that's a plan, I think that the emotional intelligence aspect and this conscious communication is something that we can all apply and, and continue to strive for. Totally. I agree. I don't have kiddos, but I use it with clients all the time for sure. <laughs> yes. You guys probably so, don't know I'm doing it, but. Yeah. <laughs> so before we get into all of the good things and uh, start to unpack some philosophical elements of, of my parenting, if you will, uh, let's talk about today's opener sponsor, Harper and Soul Provisions. Yes. So Harper and Soul provides crunchy, salty, anti-inflammatory snacks with a subtle natural sweetener that maintains low-carb principles, blood sugar balance, satiety, and provides brain-boosting ingredients. And the flavors of these snacks are really amazingly complex, um, from their cardamom coconut to their rosemary maple, ginger snap, and my personal favorite is the turmeric pepper. It's got that really nice savory element. And um, over on Jess's story highlights, you can actually see her making the dehydrated turmeric that she grinds herself and adds into the mix. So all of the ingredients have a lot of purpose and intention. We love that she uses egg white to bind because that's going to add more protein. And these are just an all-around great snack, you know, for the whole household, for a stocking stuffer. My in-laws ate them as cereal because they were shocked to find that we do not have <laughs> cereal, in quotes, uh, in our house. They had this with almond milk the other day. Granola, totally. Yeah, it's totally a granola, and they were pretty happy with it. I even sent them home with a bag. So fun for the whole family. Um, they are doing a deal over on harperandsoulprovisions.com when you use the code Allie Miller RD you save 15% on orders of two or more bags. Definitely check it out. It is a favorite now our household as well. And each member in our household has like a different flavor. So it works out really well. Um, awesome. So Harper and Souls, Harper and Soul Provisions.com. Use the code Allie Miller RD to save 15% off on two bags or more. All right, let's do this thing. Um, so I know you've taken a lot of kind of various philosophies into play with your parenting approach. Um, let's just talk a little bit about some inspiration or kind of some of the thought leaders in this area that you apply as a parent. Okay. So two of the primary ones that I probably think to are Rudolf Steiner and Maria Montessori. So uh, I had a roommate in college, uh, my earlier college years, who went to a Waldorf school. And this is the first time I'd ever heard the term. And, and Rudolf Steiner actually also was the father of biodynamic farming. So he's a really interesting esotericist that applies, you know, deep science with like a spiritual educational philosophy. And what is known of Waldorf education is that it employs his existence of an object being into an objective, excuse me, objective, intellectually comprehensible spiritual world that is accessible to the human experience. So his positioning is that human intellect can connect with the spiritual world. Uh, I pulled a couple quotes from him. One is, 
Love starts when we push aside our ego and make room for someone else. I love that one. Um, it sits well with me. And then another one is our highest endeavor must be to develop free human beings who are able of themselves to impart purpose and direction in their lives. The need for imagination, a sense of truth, and a feeling of responsibility. These three forces are the very nerve of education. I love that. Did you know I went to a Waldorf school? Um, only for like preschool, but I remember it really well that there were like dolls with no faces because you were supposed to imagine (laughs) what they looked like. And and we had like chickens and I think rabbits that we took care of as kids. Um, And yeah, the the dolls had like no faces. And so the puppets, same thing, like you were supposed to use your imagination. And thinking back, I'm like, it's a little creepy, but I get it. Interesting. Uh, And then Maria Montessori, uh, she's an Italian physician, so a doctor and an educator that created the philosophy of of education that bears her name, Montessori Education. And, you know, she wrote a lot on a scientific approach to learning and uh, education, child development, humanitarianism, and social change. Uh, A lot of her teaching is really in creating space to allow the child to nourish and flourish, if you will. So a couple of quotes I pulled from Maria Montessori is, um, the hand is the instrument of intelligence. The child needs to manipulate objects and, and to gain experience by touching and handling. I love that. And that's really where I think I shared maybe, I don't know, a couple months back with you guys how... Uh, you know, with book tour and whatnot, we've relied so much more on travel and dining out. And we had to really remove screens completely. Whereas in the past time, if we couldn't get a sitter, we'd be like, okay, this is reasonable. We can have a conversation with a couple out to dinner. We're going to let Stella watch Finding Nemo or whatever. And we decided to pull that away and work a lot more with kind of tactile toys. And it's been such a benefit for all of us. It, it of course, was a <laughs> more hands-on and um, effort-influenced uh, parenting shift, of course, to pull the screens away. But I'm, I'm pleased that we did it. And we'll bring things like a um, stable of horses for Stella mm-hmm. to bring each horse in and out of. Or, um, you know, she might have like figurines or uh, we call them like little guys, like basically all of the little 25 cent piece characters that might have a different matching block. Like so matching of flowers, stars, whatever different uh, puzzle pieces. And then she'll have the, the little characters be on them. But she's really into moving things. And a big component of Montessori is allowing them to really kind of get lost within their creative play. So here's another one that I really love. To let the child do as he likes when he has not yet developed any powers of control is to betray the idea of freedom. Real freedom instead is a consequence of development. It is the development of latent guides aided by education. And that's from The Absorbent Mind, uh, talking about where parameters need to be laid. And then another one, this is the last one I'll read by her. At some given moment, it happens that the child becomes deeply interested in a piece of work. When we see it in the expression of his face, his intense concentration, the devotion to the exercise, and that's in the discovery of the child. I have to say, I have definitely seen the shift with Stella since you guys have implemented more of like the fidget toys and the imaginative creative play. Her imagination is pretty amazing. Like she can go, you know, she's like, oh, 
you be the fork and I'll be the spoon. Like she can do it with oh, yeah. something that's not even her toys. If, if, you know, that's all that's available. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And I mean, a, a big part as we'll get into with today is, is allowing for that. I think, unfortunately, we just get so distracted and so bombarded with societal norms or just, you know, where we need to go, what we need to be doing, where I think often a, a disservice of parenting is, is overcorrection, <laughs> you know, like, no, forks don't do that, you know, and it's like, well, sure. yeah. but, but, <laughs> but they can. <laughs> right, 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 right. So I think where we kind of lay the brakes is a, a big piece of the puzzle. Um, and then the last piece of, I would say, influence is, is from one of my best friends, Tamara, who is a Montessori teacher. And that's kind of what brought into light this type of, I, I think that when I parent, I strive to be Tamara. I'm just channeling Tamara all the time. <laughs> I'm like, how would she deal with this? And I remember from so many conversations early on, like I came over to her house one time and she, uh, her daughter Piper was probably four, five max, but I think four years old. And she's like, Hey Allie, you know, today is Diwali. And I was like, okay, like, A, I have no idea what Diwali is, which is like the festival of lights in India. And <laughs> she like brings me a bindi and she explains to me what a bindi is. And, you know, this is what, do, would you like to see pictures of people that celebrate Diwali? And then she pulls out her book from the library and is like, these are lanterns and blah, blah, blah. And like <laughs> goes oh on. Gosh. And I remember just being like floored. Like I remember calling my mom on the drive home and being like, no, these children are unbelievable. And uh, I remember one day we were driving the car and Piper was like, oh, see over there, that looks like it could be New York City. It was Houston, you know, downtown Houston. She's like, because it's east of our home and New York City is in the east. <laughs> uh, and then Tamara would share her her teaching philosophy and examples from the classroom, which would crack me up. Like one time someone at her classroom said, oh, like Miss Basham, I'm starving. When's lunch? And so Tamara like pulls down nonchalantly a map from the classroom and is like, let's talk about what starvation is. This is a continent called Africa. This is a region within Africa where starvation rates, you know, blah, 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 and starts just like throwing knowledge and shows a picture of Kwashakor, like distended abdomens of children in Ethiopia. And, you know, this is what starvation looks like. Starvation is defined by X, Y, Z. So maybe you would like to consider a different, more accurate word to use to describe your, your discomfort or right now or, or your appetite that you're experiencing. And so it's just, it's just really wild where it, it's not creating shame, but it's empowering the child with information so that they are able to play a role really in the community. And, and that's been a big thing that I kind of keep trying to reframe. How can Stella be an active member in our household? How can Stella be an active contributor to our community so that she feels a sense of pride and ownership and it also helps, honestly, as a parent experience that your child is less whiny. Like you kind of call them out on their BS and are able to use that as an educational moment. Totally. And I think, you know, using accurate words and descriptions and, and even if they are a little bit maybe over their head, um, it gives them, you know, an exposure to that vocabulary. And yeah. it also shows you're respecting them on a higher level, like in the example from Tamara that, you know, that child now has a, a very different understanding of what starving is and can be more sensitive in their language choices in the future. 
Right. I mean, communication is a constant opportunity to educate. And, you know, you, you could allow that child to say that and say, okay, hang in there, lunch is in 15 minutes. Or you could provide them an educational experience of, of the word. And again, that's a word that comes off kind of as a privileged term in a whiny position. And so that, then that child using that term is likely not going to lead to success in any way, shape, or form. So in a way, you're, you're reframing their relationship within their place in the world, which I think is a really powerful element of community again. Totally. And let's give some examples of ways um, that you're having Stella kind of participate in the household. I know I saw her cleaning the windows recently. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, a big idea is that we try to allow her to have access to things. So like in our new house, we have a lot of our toys are, are gone first off in the sense of like, they're not in the um, mine. Like, like if you're just looking through my living room, it doesn't really look like a child lives here. But there are, to, to maybe the naked eye, <laughs> you know, but there are a lot of things that we position specifically for her access, like the baskets in our mudroom are all going to be filled with her books and some of her toys so that she's able to, with her own freedom, trade something out. Uh, but when there are too many toys out, we will actively ensure that she cleans up and puts things away and organizes them. And we talk a lot about respecting your things. Uh, we allow her now, she fills her own water bottle always. So that's at, you know, hand's reach. And so if she wants a glass of water, uh, she's able to pull a glass from the downstairs, the down um, lower cabinets and fill that with water on her own versus being like, mom, I need water. Um, we allow her to, yes, if she makes a mess on like the glass or does something that's against household rules, there is a process of kind of amending that. So I was joking before about how Branch Basics is really, you know, plant mineral-based cleaning products that we use in our household. And so again, those are all accessible for Stella under the sink. We don't like lock things. She's three and a half. And uh, she knows if, if I see her with her mouth or doing anything like gobby or handprints, even on the windows, I'll say, oh, Stella, you know, I really prefer that your curious hands are able to experience nature or toys, but the walls and the windows are not a place for curious hands or the walls and the windows are not a place where we place toys or our mouths or our body parts. And then I'll say, uh, you know where the cleaning materials are. I'd, I'd like you to please clean up the window pane that now looks messy. And she'll like go on over and pull her little spray bottle and spray it and clean it. And uh, it's a really cool part of the process because there's not, again, shame. It's an, it's me letting her know, again, what is the rule of the household, what is outside of the norm or outside of my desire, and how she can amend it proactively. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, when it comes down to it, I really believe strongly that children should have access to play an integral role in their community. And this means guided decisions with structure for success, yet the space and time to cultivate creativity and that being paired with autonomy to bring their passion to life or, or really into action mode. I love that. That's a great, great quote from uh, the Allie Miller. <laughs> That's a parenting, according to Allie. Yes. I don't know. Yeah, 
<laughs> your next book. Oh my gosh. Um, let's dig a little bit deeper into the principles of Montessori education and you know how these can be used in a parenting or really any relationship environment. Yeah. So the first one that I think is super important and it seems like a duh when you hear it out loud, but I don't believe Honestly, I think that this is one of the biggest errors in parenting. Respect them as a person. <laughs> you know, I just think that often uh, children, we, we're taught to respect our elders. We're taught to respect each other. But then we, we really don't take the time to respect a child as a person. And when you take the time to do that, they will feel heard they will feel loved and they will then have more capacity to respect others, which likely means less fits, tantrums, breakdowns when we're talking about toddlers. So one example of this that, that I love, and, and I think this was something I witnessed with Tamara as well, was I'm unavailable right now. <laughs> like, you know, when she'd have her toddler on her life being like, mom, 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 <laughs> you know, a lot of parents either feel like they can't complete a sentence or they aren't able to communicate with other adults when their child's around, or they'll say, shh, or knock it off, or hey, you know, or just like kind of a, a yell or a, a, you know, something to not take the time to make eye contact with their child and respect them for what their wants are and look at them in the eyes and say, I am unavailable right now. I'm having a conversation with Becky, but as soon as I'm completed with it, I am all yours. Or, you know, being very specific and saying then after, thank you for waiting. Now, what can I help you with? Or giving them the opportunity when you're telling them you're unavailable and saying, is this something that requires my attention immediately or is this something that could wait? So you're actually, again, because then that, especially as the child develops ages four, five, six, seven, then they're like, oh, well, I guess it can wait. And then they start to learn how to be more respectful of your time and your communication while you take that time and energy to also give them that respect. I love that. And that also teaches them a lot about, you know, the cadence of conversation and not interrupting their friends when they're speaking and waiting their turn at, at school. So I think that can be, you know, helpful on all fronts, really. Totally. I mean, the first time though I heard her say that, I was like, that's a that's a possibility. I'm able to look at the child and just say I'm unavailable now. Oh yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I love that. And I've been on the other end of that where I'm talking to a friend who has a kid right there and it's like I can't get a word in edgewise and the kid doesn't actually need anything. I'm like, okay, like mm-hmm. <laughs> they're just expressing that they uh-huh. want attention. Yeah. And that's where again, when you take the time to respect them versus just to coddle them or to, you know, again, distract yourself from the conversation you're having or the email you're trying to write or whatever it is that you're trying to execute and you partially give your child attention, you're also not respecting them. So it's so much better to be able to really compartmentalize that and teach them that. And then also to, when we're getting into these next kind of philosophies, you're respecting their feelings as well, which is a really important piece of the puzzle. I love that. Um, So what's number two? Foster their freedom and independence. Let's talk about what that means. So at every level of, you know, age and growth and development, they're going to have different relative level of freedom and independence, you know? So we're not putting a baby down by their onesie and saying, okay, (laughs) go dress yourself. (laughs) 
But once a child has the ability to do so, you know, that's a really important component of confidence and also them having a place of expression and style, you know, so we may do some, you know, freedom and independence, but it might be somewhat guided in the sense that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll say, okay, so do you know what day of the week it is? And Stella will guess, or she might remember from the day before. And then we have the song with the days of the week and we'll say, okay, Wednesday. So it's a school day. And the temperature is 67 degrees. Like I'll actually go through this process with her, you know. So that's kind of chilly. It's like a fall temperature. So I think it's appropriate to make sure that our legs are covered. Now, what would you like to wear to school today? So you create a, you know, you're creating framework and perspective, and then you're allowing that freedom and independence. And yes, it's going to take longer. Yes, the clothes might be mismatched, but that level is not going to put them at risk of harm. You know, that they have the clothing to fit the weather or the environment, and then they have within that construct some expression, right? Um, so they're learning things like fine motor skills, step-by-step logic, decision-making, and you're able to question them in their thought process of, you know, if they're trying to wear a skirt over their head, you know, oh, I, I think that's interesting. And, and maybe for uh, dress-up play, that would work. But skirts are really made to go around your waist, you know, so you can create again, constant framework that still allows this, this independence. And it's important that, like I said before, with the, you know, the cleaning materials being at reach, the cups, the books, that the household is friendly for that independence. So what are the drawers that they're going to need to access? You know, maybe you start with a thing like maybe the underwear is most accessible because that allows the most freedom at an early age. They get to pick the Paw Patrol or the Pocahontas bottoms or whatever. <laughs> and then you choose the weather appropriate pants and whatnot. And as you're doing that, you let them know the why. And then as they develop, they have more autonomy to different layers, different levels within their dresser. I love that. And yeah, I've noticed around your household too, like a lot of Stella's books are in bins where she can reach them and grab them and decide what she wants to play with. And um, when we were playing together up in your little playroom, like she knew exactly where her dinos were and knew where they went to put them away too, which I think is a big piece of that puzzle. Yes. And, and that comes to the next component, which is freedom within limits. So I often will work with Stells to say, you know, so when there's a rule, I like to educate her on why the rule is set. Like what is the risk factor involved? And I'll always say as like a mantra with her, Stella, you know, rules are there for adults to help to keep you safe. And, you know, there's rules that apply to mom being in our country. There's rules that apply to the way that I drive. There's rule, you know, so I always kind of frame it of rules are there to keep us safe. And then, you know, why there are particular rules. So if she's at a park, you know, she's able to navigate whether she wants to go up and down the ladders and the slides and the swings and whatnot but she knows that it's not okay to cross the road, right? You know, so there's levels of, of understood limits that are employed. And, and then I always will say often if we're like downtown and she wants to walk without holding my hand, I'll let her know. And one of my other phrases that I say often beyond rules or, or to keep you safe is I'll say, 
freedom comes within listening. And, you know, when we stop listening, this is when we lose some of our privileges or our, our freedoms. And so if you'd like to walk without holding my hand, that means that you're going to stay within, you know, two sidewalk squares of mama. That means that you will not. So if she decided to run ahead, then she's going to lose the privilege of walking on her own. She's going to need to choose to hold a hand, roll in the stroller, or be held. And, you know, it's it's a process that constantly has stumbles, of course, but it helps to create the framework. And then they become so proud to show that they're capable in that process as they expand their freedom. Totally. And, and giving them the autonomy to make those decisions and then kind of course correcting, you know, if they make the wrong decision, as long as it's not one that's putting them in danger. I think that's really important to learn. Okay. You didn't listen. Here's the consequence. Here's the why I'm not just being mean mom. Like you need to be safe. Absolutely. And then the next one is uh, slow down, give them space and time to explore. And I love this one. This is one that I talked to Brady when I was pregnant about because I've observed way too many nagging parents. And I feel like I, I said to him, I mean, I'm someone and I'll be the first one to admit that tends to have a <laughs> timeliness disease. I don't know what the I term have it is. too. What do we call it? I um, have just a... <laughs> This is a, a misperception yeah. of, of how long tasks will take time me. Time optimism? And time not... optimism. Yeah, yeah. kind of. I <laughs> but I am pretty much often running late, you know, and that's something I'm constantly working on reframing. But I told Brady, I was like, we will never be a rushed family. Like, I, I don't want to start her school days at age three and a half saying, hurry up, Stella. Okay, hurry, hurry, mm -hmm. hurry quick, quick, let's go, go, go. Um, because I, I honestly hear that all the time with moms and they're kind of like dragging and pulling. And it's like, we need to create a structure that doesn't drive anxiety. Obviously <laughs> I'm very sensitive to anxiety with all of my work with HPA access and the books and whatnot. And I, I don't want to create a framework where a child environment is anxious and rushed. Uh, and so I like to create kind of stations of play where she can really lose herself in an activity. And sometimes one activity may engulf her longer than others, and it's going to you know, have variances within her mood at the time and her energy levels and other things that have inspired her or not. But I always want to have the space, and so I like to really work proactively within that slowdown and giving them space giving them time to transition, which is extremely important in toddlerhood. But as we go into, you know, teens and development, that same space and, and nourishing that creativity is really important to be able to harness because I think that that's really what in society we're missing as this kind of grounding reset from the hustle bustle. Totally. I love that. And it is, it's so anxiety provoking to hear like, hurry, 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 let's go oh, you're taking too long putting your jacket on, so I'm going to do it for you. And and the child loses that autonomy. Yeah, and I, exactly that example, Becky, I told Brady, I go, we will not say a word more than twice. Like, that's a classic, mm -hmm. right? Hurry, hurry, hurry. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, okay, okay. You know, and I'm like, no, no. Like, we're going to be calm and cool. And when we say things, we mean it. And if we say it a second time, that means we really mean it. Totally. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, intonation is going to be employed at that time. And there's going to be a different expression on the face. And usually that's in a, okay, this is serious delivery of language, not to provoke a rushed, you know, type of expression. Sure. 
And then that leads kind of to this next one of, of using big words or, or speaking to them in more adult language and terms. Yes. So even it can be a fun experiment or, or I guess challenge, maybe not experiment, but a fun challenge for you within your household, again, as your child develops and grows to really expand your own vocabulary. So rather than constantly saying, okay, the living room's messy, it's time to clean it up. You can say things like, I see too much debris on the floor that I'm pleased to see. So let's be sure to clean up these pieces or things look disorganized, which is not satisfactory to me. Um, And so you can use larger words and find ways to challenge your own vocabulary. Uh, You know, that's a large truck instead of large all the time. That is enormous or uh, that's a gigantic, you know, so you're just starting to use larger words, working with, you know, synonyms or antonyms or whatnot. And and you can start to do that with language by teaching opposites and such. And then actual terms instead of baby talk. I, I, I really am a big proponent of actual terms, especially when we're talking about like anatomy. Mm-hmm. It's not my tummy aches. It's not I, I have to go pee-pee um, or I don't even know, fill in the blank of other <laughs> terms and things. It's discussing what's going on in the body. Oh, does your stomach ache? Do you feel cramping? Does it feel grinding? What part of your body hurts? And so using descriptive terms to help them communicate can be a component within this speaking in actual terms and using big words. Oh my gosh, there's such a good episode of, I know we talk about this show (laughs) to you guys all the time, but I don't think I've talked about it on the podcast. Um, I'm Sorry by Andrea Savage, where this babysitter uses the word front tushy to describe the child's vagina. Um, and just talking about, you know, anatomy and like teaching them those words too, I think is really, it may feel uncomfortable, but it's important to use the proper terminology. Yes, most definitely. Front so, tissue. Uh, all the words. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and then last but not least, number six is always make observations. What does that mean? Yeah. So this is a really good one where it allows uh, one of Maria Montessori's educational components or what I've heard from teachers and friends is that, you know, we don't interrupt play. Like when a child is engulfed into something, even a look from the parent of like a smile or like uh, approval or disapproval or eye contact can break their focus. And that's going to really kind of interfere with their exploration. So really unless necessary, but one way that you can engage is through observation. And this can be conversational in the sense of like, you helping them to explore what they're already exploring. So if Stella, Stella right now is playing a lot with horses. And so saying something like, I see you're really enjoying, I see today you really were enjoying playing with your horses. What's the thing that your horses enjoy doing the most? Or what do you most enjoy about playing with your horses? Um, Asking specific questions that you have observed to provoke communication. This is going to allow the ability to cater the child's form of play and their joy seeking in that process. Uh, You know, oh, I saw that the food was out by the horses. How do you go about feeding the horses or how do you know when they're hungry? You know, different things that like the child may not even 
think through that they know the answer to, and that's because they were in this creative state. So you're creating the opportunity to really empower that. I love that. And and again, that teaches them about conversation. I remember, you know, as a child, just being asked, like, how was school today? And the answer is always good. good. And that's it. <laughs> like, that's where the buck would stop. And you really have to dig a little bit deeper and, and kind of provoke some of that thought process. So I love that starting at an early age. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, you can use it in the negative sense too. When kids are very audible with their feelings and emotions, you know, so if a child is playing on their own, they're going to be going, ah, or like trying to force a piece into something, you know, right? Um, and what you want is the child to be a problem solver. That's going to help them with life skills throughout all ages and stages. And so, again, instead of just like stepping in, you can either you can be silent and, and wait for them to potentially, if they do ask you for help, you could guide them with, oh, well, it looks like that character may be too large for the space you're trying to pull them through. Maybe try an alternative exit point. I see the doors open. Have you tried those? You know, you can kind of have a, a, a digging conversation or even later in the day, uh, oh, I saw when you were playing with those Paw Patrol characters that you were getting really frustrated. What about playing with them was frustrating for you? So that's, again, another kind of way where you can make observations and then you can help them to process the problem-solving piece versus just their joy and their play elements. Totally. I love that. And and I think you guys do a really good job of um, doing that in your speech with Stella. So let's talk about... Um, maybe reflective mirroring for emotions a little bit more and, and just some of your, maybe their alley-isms or <laughs> whatever they are that you and Brady try to apply, you know, beyond these principles, kind of how you've taken this and, and made it your own. Yeah. So a big one that Brady and I like to do is acknowledgement of feelings and uh, awareness with empathy. That's like a, a concept that we really try to, to use in our household and so I'm, I'm, and I had to talk with my mom about this and other caretakers because it's something that I think is really important, again, about a child being able to genuinely, authentically feel and really remove shame from emotions and processing of situations because there's just so much before even the work of Brene Brown, um, you know, impact on shame as being a, a destroyer, if you will, within, within the human experience. So often if a child's crying, even if said empathetically, a caretaker will say, don't cry, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> the first general, I think what I observe at least reaction that we'll see, oh, honey, don't cry. And so it's a different way to take the time to actually allow them their feeling. And I, one of my <laughs> very common, I'm sure you've heard me say this a lot, Becky, especially in front of a breakdown. Wow. <laughs> those are really big feelings that you're having. <laughs> or I see that, that X, Y, Z really upset you, you know? Um, and so I'll, I'll then, or sometimes I'll say, wow, those are really big feelings, Stella. And then she'll be like, yeah, because I didn't want, you know, like she'll like mm -hmm. go off and she's trying to cry have the thing and I'll be like, oh, I'm having a hard time understanding you though between your crying. So mama's here. And when you're ready to communicate, I'm ready to listen to you. Um, and so we'll do things like that. Uh, or if she is speaking without empathy, like, you know, maybe I'm singing to 
the Lion Guard soundtrack. <laughs> it's now like osmosis. And um, if I'll be like singing a song and she'll be like, no, mama, you cannot sing. You know, then I'll like take a moment and I'll be like, okay, Stella, I, I honor that you don't want me to sing. And I understand that my voice does not sound like the character. <laughs> But the way that you said that was hurtful. Can you maybe think of another way to communicate to mama? And then she'll be like, okay, mama, how about you sing the next song? Or mama, no thanks. I'd prefer to just hear the song as it is. And it's just a different way. I'm just right away creating the discourse that, you know, the the way that that was expressed was sharp and that could provoke feelings and and emotions to me. And so how can we be aware and how can we be empathetic when we have to share information? That's awesome. And do you notice her modeling these behaviors like at school with her friends or, or like with her cousins kind of doing the problem solving piece of the puzzle with them? Yeah, especially, and you know, now at three and a half, it's a little bit like more towards me Mm -hmm. um, in the sense like when the cousins were over for Thanksgiving, she'd be like, wow, mom, it looks like Jet is really upset right now. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, like almost tattletale. That's like the phase where like they're just like observe, share, observe, share. Um, And so she, I haven't seen that. Like you said, she was definitely empathetic to you with Houston running around. I haven't seen her yet to another child, like say, wow, Jet, I see that you're really upset, but she'll say it to me in mm-hmm. that way. And it's not it's not anymore, you know, why is Jet crying or what's wrong with Jet? So it is, I think, a, she's starting to get there. Sure. And it'll just be time for her to go up to the individual and inquire. And, you know, this is, again, something that we can employ acknowledgement of feelings with awareness and empathy. That's what I'm phrasing it. And this is the same type of mirroring that we can do with reflective listening as a practitioner. I mean, we use this all the time. We we call it like calling out incongruencies um, or even just reframing and making sure that you understand. And I find that in my marriage, it's a very helpful tool in, you know, peer relationships and whatnot. Those, Those phrases of it sounds like, or what I hear you say is, or I get a sense that, um, and then calling out incongruencies or really being reflective would, would be kind of asking the individual to help you understand, <laughs> which can feel a little patronizing in a husband-wife relationship. Like you have to be mindful <laughs> of the way that you express it because Brady will look at me and be like, oh no, don't pull yep. that Stella shit on me. <laughs> Um, if I'm like, help me to understand on one hand, you're saying your belly hurts or your stomach hurts, right. Or you're bloated. And on the other hand, you're drinking a beer, you know, like that's not <laughs> how to go over very well with Brady Miller. Um, but, but it is a powerful tool in the right context and you can still use it within your marriage of, I'm really having a difficult time for us to get here because what I'm seeing is this and what I'm experiencing is that or what I'm hearing is this. And so it's okay when you own it yourself um, and you're sharing, I think, more in an intimate relationship like with your spouse. But when you're doing it in a uh, more formal, it's it's definitely okay to use that like help me understand or I'm having a difficult time understanding this. Can you Can you... Can you help me see the disconnect? Totally. And I know I use that pretty successfully, I think, in clinic at this point, although I don't know if I really used it successfully in my relationship with Byron. So I'll have to observe. And, you know, he can do no wrong. He's like perfect. So, um, <laughs> okay. So let's dig in a little bit into autonomy or freedom and how guided decisions play a role in your household. Yes. So beyond wardrobe, as I was saying prior, I think honestly, the strongest one is 
going to be with food. Of course. And, <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> so with Stella as an example with food, it's, you know, what would you like as your protein for dinner? And it might even be more guided based on what protein we have available or, you know, have a leftover of, and then we'll be preparing that night. Uh, because obviously if now that she's getting so darned smart, <laughs> if I just say, what do you want for your protein? She might say steak and I may have, you know, ground beef that I'm making like a taco salad and I may have, you know, wild salmon from the night before. And so then that pulls the rug out from her choice of steak of me being like, well, actually you can't have that. Sure. Yep. <laughs> so guided uh, choice doesn't, it's not just to provide structure. It also provides the fact that you're going to follow through with providing them their desire. And that's what really makes the autonomy a success. Otherwise you're just providing them quote unquote freedom that ultimately won't be fulfilled. That makes a lot of sense. So instead of just being like, what do you want for dinner? Or what do you want to do today? Offering choices that are actually feasible that you can fulfill. Yeah, absolutely. And then it provides more of a conversation, again, as you use the correct terminology, as you empower the child with the why, you know, now Stella will be like, mama, I want some mango. And I'll say, no, we don't need it because she loves the like dry yeah, mango. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, that's always in our pantry. And so that's like a common ask. And I'll say, you know, I think you've had enough fruit and carbohydrate. I think that it's time to have a protein. And then she said to me yesterday, oh, I know, mama, meat stick, meat stick's a protein. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, like she like goes and gets it and like is holding it in front of me. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Because again, the, we keep snacks also now, you know, at... A, um, I have a little basket that I've created now. So that has like a good variety of things. And I, I keep it pretty low in the carbohydrates because those always find children. Uh, so it's more about, oh, I know if I have mango, I could have nuts. Nuts are good. Nuts have protein. And I'll say, well, nuts do have a little bit of protein, but I call them a healthy fat because they actually have more fat but fat's good with fruit too. And then we'll kind of explain the whole process of like blood sugar regulation and whatnot. And uh, it's it's a way, again, to empower the child to have that freedom, have a ability to have likes and dislikes or, you know, no thank you portions of things, but they're proactive in the decision process and they're starting to understand why food choices matter. Totally. I love that. And and yeah, Stella's been talking about protein, I feel like, for like at least six months more, maybe. Like a year. Now, a yeah. year. Yeah. Like, oh, right this is my protein. Thing. Yeah, uh -huh. it was the steak. Uh -huh. I know, mama. <laughs> I'm going to have another bite of my protein. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, she looked at me it. today and she was like, well, maybe I'll just have some broccoli then. <laughs> I was like, I'll wrote, so I did, I, I was like, well, would you like to help me cut the broccoli? Cause the broccoli's in the fridge and you know, I was probably going to make that for dinner. Do you want broccoli as a snack? And she was like, yes. I was like, well, broccoli's a vegetable and we'll roast it with fat so that can stand on its own. Um, but let's get your leaning tower out and let's cut up the broccoli. So we did that together and you know, it was like a good 20 minute process and she ate like a cup of broccoli after. So I love <laughs> that. <was> funny. <laughs> She's probably got a deeper understanding of, of food than some adults, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about just kind of working to 
understand your child and um, what your approaches are there. Yeah. So I think that this is another thing that kind of comes back to that first concept of respecting your child as a person. I think it's important to take the time to understand why they experience certain emotions or why they choose certain behaviors. And um, at a certain timestamp, I don't know developmentally the correct answer, but I just know that there are times when questions need to transition into open-ended questions versus like leading questions. Um, For example, uh, again, we had the cousins in for Thanksgiving and uh, the older boy who's six wasn't playing. We we had like a family mixed play thing where there were a bunch of kids playing around and the older six-year-old was very... what's the word I'm looking for? Basically not not participating in the group, um, just kind of sticking to himself, being shy, I suppose, and just kind of disconnected. And um, my mom had asked him the next day, oh, did you feel shy because all the other friends, all the other kids there knew each other? And I was like, mom, at six, I think that you should position that question to say, hey, Maverick, I observed that you weren't playing with the other children why did you decide not to play with them? Or or why did you choose not to play with them? And just leave it at that rather than providing that guided question of, you know, were you shy? Did you feel uncomfortable because? And then actually even sure, giving yeah. your perceived answer. <laughs> yeah. um, because then you're, what are you going to get from the kid? Yeah. And it's like, that doesn't really help them to explore their feelings and emotions because now they're just taking on a feeling or emotion that you already labeled or created. So if if you're really looking to understand why that child didn't participate, you could just ask them simply why they did not participate. And then if they're having a hard time expressing themselves, then you may create a little bit more of a choose your own adventure of maybe opportunities or word selection. Um, hey, here's some feelings I'm going to list. Do any? Did you experience any of these? And you can just list a bunch, but instead of just framing it within one position of your perception. Totally. That keeps the the discourse open that they can still have some, some choice in the matter and, and learn to put words to their feelings. Cause I think again, that's something that like even some adults don't quite have down. Absolutely. Absolutely. What about um, behavior corrections? I know I've observed kind of more of this coming into play in these lovely three major years, which yes. I still think still is a perfect angel, but I know there's a lot behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you've witnessed your, your fair fair amount of rage being on the road with me and such. And yeah. Well, <laughs> typical toddler stuff. So we do use, you know, timeout in the sense of the idea of, I think at age two, we started employing timeouts and um, we do it as like reflective time. And so what I've read is that it's appropriate to do about a minute per year of age. So now she does three minutes and we have her sit still. It has to be like a particular, but I've done them anywhere. Like it doesn't matter where we are. Um, and, uh, you know, she has to sit still and I frame it when she's, when I sit her down and say, you're going to have a timeout to think about your behavior. When your timeout is over, we'll talk about it. And she will sit and she will think about the process. It's pretty wild. Um, where now she'll, in fact, there was one time. Yeah. That's what I was just thinking about. (laughs) The the building of empathy. Yeah. When we were at the San Jose, San Jose, right. Um, Or no, Havana. Havana Hotels. 
in yep. um, San Antonio. So Byron was trying to, Becky's husband, Byron was trying to like participate with Stella's play. And she's just was at, she's kind of over that now, which I'm so grateful for, but she was at a stage where she would just be like, no, you're not doing it. Or no, you can't play. Like she had in her framework of what she was doing. And if someone was going to join in on, you know, Lion King or whatever it was, she was going to kind of snap at them and no. And so I, I kept warning her. I said, Stella, that hurts Byron's feelings. You have to understand that when someone's trying to participate with you, it's because they want to play with you. And the way that you're playing is bringing them joy and they want to share in that experience. So maybe be more open to being inclusive of other people's ideas or other people, you know, and so that, that type of communication was how I would talk to my three and a half year old about that, just saying no. All right. And then if she did it again, and then I looked at her and I said, Stella, if you yell or, you know, we don't speak to adults that way, that's disrespectful. I'd prefer that, that you can communicate differently. And I gave her another example of how to communicate. And then I said, if you do it again, you know, you're going to have a timeout. So she did it. She got a timeout. And like at the minute and a half mark, she like starts crying and she's like, why was you doing that, Stella? I was your friend. Why was you hurting Byrie's feelings? <laughs> like we could hear her in the other room. Oh we were um, not what she was. What else was she saying? She's just like, you know, just don't say no. Let right. other yep. friends play. It's okay <laughs> to let friends play. You know, and then so then I'll come to her at the three minute mark, and I always give her a big hug, and you know, allow her time to feel that energy and hug, and I'll say. Stella, do you know why you had reflective time? And then she'll, you know, usually explain because I wasn't listening. And again, that's like the short term answer, but now we want to dig deeper. Um, well, it was that you weren't listening, but really beyond listening, it was the fact that you were having hurtful communication and you were being exclusive with your behavior. And when we're in a community and when we're sharing in memories and time and energy exchange with each other, it's really important to mama that you're open to other people sharing in your space and energy as well. And so it's kind of like one of those, like, again, really kind of deep dive, whoa, <laughs> conversations. And instead of just allowing her to say, because I wasn't listening and then say, okay. And then she really does think, and she really does grow and, and is open. And I think the last two times we've hung out, she hasn't been as no with things Not and at all. Nope. really helped her to be aware of that. And again, it could be exhausting for the parent, the same type of scenario of like, I've had restaurants where I will pull her out of the restaurant to give her a timeout outside um, because no one's giving, you know, it's not going to work to do it at the table or, or at the lobby of the restaurant. I have to pull her usually outside or to a different space. And it's worth it because I watch so many moms that are just like shell-shocked numb and will be like at a restaurant and their child is screaming or acting out and it's like they just numb. They just don't hear it. They don't see it. They don't respond to it and they just wait for it to dissipate. But what are you actually empowering in that child? How are you helping them grow and expand? And how are you helping them to learn what is appropriate behavior? I mean, that's one of my constant things too is awareness of our environment. I'll look at Stella before, you know, the timeout and the warning. And I'll very specifically say, Stella, your noise is too loud to be indoors. All of the other people at this restaurant are sitting down peacefully. They're talking with their family. They're having a good time. They're enjoying their food. What I need you to do is to be a good listener. You're welcome to play with these toys over here. I'm, I will happily read you a story. You know, I give her options again, guided diversion of what you can do and then defining what is unacceptable. 
And then I'm very specific about warnings. And the other thing I would say with warnings is following through with the warnings. That's like a big irk I have with parenting. Oh, I don't totally. Yeah. You know, like, okay, this is the last warning. If you don't do this, I'm going to take this away. And like, what kind of, what are you taking away, A? And B, how often do you actually do that? Because then you're just, the whole power struggle is is broken at that point. And so what I do with a warning is I'll do the one, two, three, and I love to turn the three into thank you when she <laughs> shifts, you know, Stella, mm-hmm. this is the last warning by the count of three. If you do not move your body off of the floor, we are going to have a timeout, you know, and then I start the counting process and she might cry while she's doing it and say, no mama. But then as she starts to, as the three turns into thank you and my demeanor changes and I'm joyful with her cooperation, then she she emulates that and it comes back full circle and you totally can navigate around a, a breakdown. And those are two things we work for as well. She'll look at me now and say, okay, mama, cooperation and peace. Yep. You got it. <laughs> you know, so it's like she, we proactively encourage. And then I, I also do reward and reaffirm. And, and if she had a timeout, I'm going to take the time to make eye contact, have that hug. But also after we reflect upon what was off, with her behavior, I take the moment to empower her with, I know that you are a kind, loving spirit. And I know that you are capable of compassionate communication. Um, So I use a lot of phrases like that to kind of bring things full circle. Totally. So empowering the positive behavior as well. And, And that was something like when I was a teacher, we were always taught, give three positives before you give the negative. And that would be more in like a classroom setting. But I think that's important too, to really empower the child's when they are being good and and stopping them just to observe and like, Hey, you're not in trouble. I just want to let you know that you're playing really well. And I really like how you did X, Y, Z. And I noticed you doing that as well. Oh yeah. yeah, Right. Outside of, uh, was I say discipline outside of discipline, just passively giving positive affirmations, I think it's really powerful for sure. Exactly. All right. So I'm taking a lot of notes for when we have kids and <laughs> maybe we'll just ship them off to you guys. I don't know. Just kidding. Let's shift gears a little bit and just give a quick update on Miss Stella's diet. Cause I know it's always ever evolving and, you know, she's changing tastes and, and developing an even more evolved palate. So let's talk about what she's digging right now and where she's at with food. Yeah, nothing like time around other children that really helps you identify what your child eats, you know, and Mm -hmm. kind of their palate and whatnot. Um, So Stella is still totally paleo-based. She gets uh, high focus and emphasis in our household on proteins and fats, as I said, you know, and that's kind of my parenting philosophy and dietitian philosophy to other parents is that kids are bombarded by carbohydrates. So we really want to be mindful of getting ample protein and fat. Uh, She's still really diverse within her protein intake. Like she was eating turkey at Thanksgiving. She loves probably I think beef and salmon are still her favorite protein of choice. And, um, but she's eating tons of different types of fish, uh, you know, really anything that we order at a restaurant, never choosing from the children's section, unless it's a really cool restaurant that has like a pick your protein, pick your veg, pick your, you know, starch option. 
So super savory palette. Um, she has expanded now into the world of quesadillas. <laughs> this is like a Brady um, provoked thing. Um, so she is now using like the Siete tortillas probably a couple times a week with an organic shredded cheese and maybe pulled chicken as well. We continue to navigate parties. And I uh, will say that her last birthday party, I was trying to be, again, kind of open-minded mom. So it was at a like playscape gym. She was given a slice of pizza, um, lemonade, and then there was like a veggie platter and a fruit platter. So right away, I like grabbed her a couple carrots, which we all know baby carrots. If you're eating real organic, like local carrots, baby carrots don't taste like anything. Um, so I don't blame her for not eating baby carrots there. <laughs> um, but I grabbed her a couple baby carrots right away and she she's never had pizza per se. And so she didn't really know what to do with it. Um, so I like kind of came over by her because I gave her her own space at the table with the kids. And I said, hey, would you want me to pull the cheese off of the pizza and cut the cheese up so you could eat bites of that? And she was like, yeah. So I did that. And then she left her whole like base with the the bun, um, the gluten uh, base, I guess, or the crust um, intact and didn't mess with that. So that was like a little bit of a win. But someone refilled her lemonade cup. And this girl is not used to having that much sugar. So she had like a double fill of probably a 12 ounce cup of lemonade. So like 24 ounces of lemonade. Oh that was gosh. probably over 60 grams of carbohydrate. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And then I allowed her to participate in the um, cake. She didn't have many bites of cake because she still kind of struggles with the, the fork with the density. There was a gluten-free cupcake. Um, and so I kind of pulled one of those, but I let her have like the birthday cake that had all the fun stuff. And she had maybe like a total of like four bites of that. So I can't say whether it was the gluten because she really hasn't, I think that was her like true first exposure in, in the sense of more than like a bite worth. I think she had, like I said, like four or five, so maybe like a quarter cup worth. Um, but she had the biggest, like I told my, my parents, I was like, it could have been sitcom worthy the way she was at a furniture store. We were at Crate and Barrel and um, after the birthday party, blah, blah, blah. She had a freak out at the birthday party when we were trying to leave. And then um, at the furniture store was literally running lap, like started running laps. She's never done anything like this <laughs> in the furniture store. She was like playing with these metal reindeer and Brady was like, okay, you're done playing with that. She knocked them all off the oh counter. It was like out of control. Like I was dying inside of my skin, had no control of my child. And I think it was totally a sugar freak out. I don't know if there were food dyes in the lemonade. Mm-hmm. I know that there probably were in the cake. Um, and then the rest of the evening, it was really sad because it was almost like it wasn't my child. And she was so remorseful and so like tearful. And she was reflecting, I mean, almost to the level where I had to give her permission to just let it go. And then she was so gassy. She kept <laughs> Hooting like across the room. And it's funny because we have this joke with Byron and Becky about the glutens. And Stella kept saying, Oh, I ate the gluten. <laughs> and then she'd be like, Mama, did you hear my belly? It's responding to the glutens I ate. And I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> so does that make you feel good? Or, you know, how does that make your belly feel? And she's like, 
um, it's better. You know, and then she'd be like, oh my gosh, the glutens are getting <laughs> pretty funny. Um, but yeah, that will never happen again. Now I will be like back on top of watching the amount of carbs she's consuming. And it was just outrageous. And I couldn't believe compared to the kids that, you know, had the pizza crust and the cupcake and the whatever, you know, that like for her system, it was still so much of a shock. And she was probably at like a quarter of the intake of the quote unquote norm for the party. Totally. And I wonder if all of those kids melted and crashed afterwards too. I'm sure they did, but maybe their parents see it as more normal. Yeah. Or maybe less of a dynamic for right. them. I right. know. It was, yeah. My yeah. Brady had a moment where he's like, well, maybe if you allowed it more, I'm like, absolutely nope. not. That's not the kind of, nope, we're not going to win this battle. Nope. And, and I, you know, for beverages, she's really restricted like to water kombucha like twice a week. And then she does smoothies still, but they always have fat and protein in them. So we're usually working with the grass-fed whey, the naturally nourished grass-fed whey because of the immunoglobulins and that just being so supportive for her immune system being exposed to all of the things going around at school. And yes. Totally. And I'm sure Stella will make a different choice probably next birthday party, as well as you having a more watchful eye, just making that connection of like, Hey, you know, how did you feel in your body last time? Let's remember what happened. I'm sure you'll have that conversation a little bit um, more intentional, like on your way to the next birthday party. Peeping moments. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, What about any holiday indulgences or things that she's digging right now and, and kind of ways that you guys navigate the holiday season? So she's been loving the updated version of the pumpkin cookie recipe on the Ally Miller RD blog. Uh, we've made those at least like five times, and I'm sure we'll make them at least once more. Uh, but they really are so balanced. They have almond flour, uh, almond butter in them as well. Uh, the canned pumpkin puree. They have eggs in them. Also more fat from coconut oil. So really work well. So we've been throwing those into lunches and such. And then uh, we've been doing, you know, she's, like I said, turkey. She did the cranberry sauce, which I do from fresh cranberries and is pretty tannic. Um, She was the only child that enjoyed that. And then um, Brady just got her an advent calendar, which is a, um, I guess it's more of like a Christmas countdown because there's no religious element to it, but it's 24 days of a chocolate from Sirius seriously chocolate, which is a like fine chocolatier, all fair trade, what have you, uh, lower sugar. And, um, they are high cacao, like 70% or greater cacao. And they're in these succulents, um, like these like origami folded, um, cactus essentially that come in this like tray, um, like a flat to hold plants. And so each day of the month of December, she gets to open a new succulent, which has different color and such. And it's probably like the size of a quarter. Um, so less than like a half ounce, I would say probably of chocolate per, but, um, it's been a really cool tradition that we've started. I love that. And it's a beautiful calendar. I saw it on your Instagram. I think I need one of those next year. Um, what about just some updated don'ts for parents or or maybe some rules to kind of reiterate in navigating food choices? I think the big ones to continue with are just no naked carbs. So, and just reduce overall carbohydrate intake. It's the mountains and valleys of blood sugar irregularities that often drive acting out and behavioral issues, as well as difficulty concentrating, focusing, 
and mood disturbances. You know, as I've shared with the anti-anxiety diet, individuals that have higher blood sugar levels have higher tendency towards depression and anxiety. So we're not doing them any favor by giving them these processed products and these high refined carb foods. And within that, I would also pull out juice and beverages. Uh, You know, so children don't need to have a squeeze pack, juice box, you name it. Give them a water bottle and they're going to be fine. Um, And then get over the frequent snacking. That's the other big peeve that I have in the sense of, you know, if a child goes three hours during the school day, they're giving them snacks and then a meal and then another Mm -hmm. snack. And I see that across the board, this kind of grazing mentality, and then children don't eat their meals. Well, usually meals are more nutrient-dense than a snack. And so if you allow your child to snack at 5 p.m. and dinner served at 6, guess what? They're not going to be into trying new foods because they don't have hunger. So you need to allow them to experience hunger to be more explorative. Is that a word? Explorative? Exploratory? exploratory, sure, with their intake and their flavor profiles. You know, if if you're allowing them to have familiar tastes as snacks, they're not going to explore when it comes to to dinner time and lunchtime. I love that. And I think that's important for adults kind of across the board too, of of reducing feeding frequency and, and allowing yourself to experience true hunger and knowing, you know, when it's time for a meal and time for a snack because in this, you know, world where stuff is constantly available and packaged, you know, so pretty in in individual servings, we all tend to fall into that from time to time. Absolutely. And and then when they're selecting their foods, really empowering them to only whole real foods and explaining why and flipping over a label and trying to read through the ingredients with your six-year-old who's learning to read and oh, you're having a hard time pronouncing that, that might mean that your body's going to have a hard time recognizing that. Or, you know, do you know what, what, how this, you know, blah, blah, blah bar is made? Or do you know where it grows? Or can you identify, you know, what this ingredient looks like? And start to ask them questions. And then that empowers them to make cleaner food decisions. I love that. Okay. So one final question on Stella and then we'll get into a couple of rapid fire Q and A's and round things out. But uh, this one's really, you know, for you. How do you keep it all together if you do? Um, and <laughs> how do you handle mom guilt? Oh yeah, you know, goodness, I think that that's that's uh, such a million dollar question, isn't it? Um, I think I just try to compartmentalize and be compassionate in my communication to Stella when I am unavailable and explain to her what I have to do instead. Uh, It's very difficult working from home because she can hear me often, you know, like she'll come home from school. I'll see her through my window and then she'll be like, I mean, the first thing always is, mama, are you done working? Are you Mm -hmm. done with client charts? Have you, and then now she'll ask me more specific questions because I'll explain. I'll be like, oh, well, I'm done with my consultations. But now what mama has to do is she has to write down all of the plans of action. And while her mind is thinking about these things, she has to be sure to complete her chart notes. And what that does is that gives each client of mama's information on how to help their bodies to work better. You know, so it's again, really giving her an explanation of what I'm doing instead and why that's important or essential. And then I will say to her something like, but I can't wait to spend time with you. So as you're doing X, Y, Z, make sure you have a plan because when mom's available, I'm, I'm, I'm there, you know? 
Um, so I think that there's that. And then there's the component of really when I, I know intuitively and within past relationships and just life growth that when I'm being my personal greatest self and fulfilling my greatest potential, which a lot of that does incorporate what I do for work and, you know, what I'm doing within social media or whatnot, the things that seem to distract from her, that when I'm living my greatest version of myself, that I show up for her in my best way possible, that I have the, you know, most authentic, deep level connection with her. I'm the most confident version of myself. So I'm going to exude that and, and exemplify that to her. And when I'm able to connect, I feel full as is going into these, um, you know, types of activities with her and, and I'm, I'm fully, fully, fully present. I'm not disconnected or disenchanted. I'm, I'm thoroughly joyful. And I think that that's the best version of myself to share with her. Totally. I love that. And we always joke that Stella's got kind of a, a different upbringing in that she'll be at school someday and being like, well, doesn't your mom have like three books? These are the anti-anxiety diet cookbook and blah, blah, blah. Doesn't your mom have a podcast? And like just her perception. I'm, I'm interested to see how that comes out. Oh yes. It will be delightful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and she's still kind of freaked out when people will say hi to her uh, in public. Uh-huh. They will social social media I'm like oh gosh we'll just deal with that later yep yep she needs something to go to therapy for so um Um, so let's have a word from today's sponsor f-bomb and then we'll do rapid fire Q&A on all things not related to conscious parenting um so I want to talk about f-bomb uh drop an f-bomb.com that is where you will find them online and f-bomb provides nut butters which are fantastic snacks for toddlers, children, teens, and adults alike. They provide beyond their nut butter packs premium oils, which provide high quality fats to add to any meal. These are also fantastic if you're traveling on the go. You can use their premium olive oil or MCT oil over a salad um, instead of something processed or made by craft or having trans fats in it. Um, these provide us you know, convenient, satisfying, delicious, high quality fats, which help you to stay in the state of nutritional ketosis. Especially if you are traveling, you can do a simple fat fast. Of their F-bomb nut butter packs, my favorite is the macadamia coconut. Stella's favorite is the macadamia pecan. And Brady Miller's favorite is the just straight up macadamia. So all Miller members of the household love to drop an F-bomb. I love it. And this is something you will always find in my purse when I'm traveling and on the go anywhere. And I'm going to be stuck without you know a, a clean option to eat. I absolutely love their pork sticks as well, which have a really good texture and um, their keto crunch, which uses microbial enzymes in these little cheese crunchies versus like cellulose and other various nasty agents. Um, They've got the best texture for sure of all of the cheese crunchies around. So really good for just a quick snack or to dip in guac or use as like a crouton on a salad. Totally. I'm laughing because in Stella's snack um, shelf, we have the F-bomb uh, Keto Crunch as well as the, we have all of them, but she can't do the nut packs, the nut butter packs on her own still. She needs me to kind of massage them. Otherwise they're, they're not working well for her, but uh, she does have the Keto Crunch and the uh, meat sticks and she'll, I saw her on the couch uh, a couple days ago and she was snacking on salt and vinegar. Mm-hmm. 
tomato crunch. And then she also loves the buffalo. So like it's a pretty interesting palette that this little one has. So going over to dropanfbomb.com uh, slash Allie Miller RD, and you will save 10% on your first order. That's also a way for you to let them know that you found them through the Naturally Nourished podcast. So again, it is dropanfbomb.com, Allie Miller RD to save. But I would say I every day take each moment with a sense of purpose and gratitude. And I think that I I really try to stay in the present moment and soak in every single moment that I have with Stella because it's such a blessing. And she teaches me as much about myself every day as I learn in her growth and development. And um, it's just a magical experience. So thank you guys for indulging in my parenting 101. And I think this is all we'll hear on that for at least a year. And uh, I hope that this episode was helpful for you on perspective. As I said, I think some of the elements we discussed can be used in all interpersonal communication and all relationships. So conscious communication is really the way to move our culture forward, our society forward, and, and to really be peacemakers and live in harmony. So I'll leave us all with that. I think that was very sage advice. So if y'all loved this episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review and a couple sentences about why you love the podcast. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.